everyone. Thanks for joining us back at The Intersection, a podcast that brings you candid conversations with members of our community and leaders in our industry. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome. I'm Leslie Wojcik, Head of Global Communications at FBI, and today I'm joined by Dan Simon, who is the co-founder and CEO of Vested, which is an integrated communications agency. He's also author of Money Hackers, which is a book that explores some of FinTech's most powerful disruptors and their thinking behind the technology. Today, we're discussing financial literacy and its importance in promoting financial well-being and education, especially among our youth. Welcome to the intersection, Dan. It's lovely to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me so much. All right. So... In Money Hackers, your, your author's note addresses how adults perceive and even interact with money. Often, how they do that often stems from their own childhood experiences. Why is it important to highlight this and bring awareness to it? Uh, well, I think, you know, I, I, I mean, not to get too psychobabbly about it, but I think what happens to us as kids informs us, you know, through our entire life in a range of areas and, and finance is no different from that. In my author's note, I talk about my own struggle, um, you know, with, with money, um, my fears about money and, and the irony or juxtaposition of the fact that, you know, I had a lot of um, financial insecurity as a kid, which led to a lot of anticipatory anxiety in me as a, as a, as an adult and uh, and a kind of a, a psychological relationship with money that wasn't necessarily healthy and and how ironic that was given that I spent my life as a storyteller in the financial space uh, working on behalf of some of the most sophisticated financial institutions and organizations in the world and how you know um, despite the fact that you know I, I could articulate a story about the most complex financial things when it came to my own credit card. I literally, by the way, just to bring you up to speed, I just applied for a credit card. My EA was like, why don't you have a credit card? You could be getting all these points. So I'm still on this personal journey of kind of, of, of discovery with my own money, even though I've, I've made a lot of money and built a rather successful num- number of successful firms that work in and around the financial space. So I think I don't think my my situation is particularly unique. I think I think we don't really have very much in the way of formal financial literacy or training in schools anymore. There's no sort of what we would have in the UK. You grew up there was something called home economics, home ec, and we don't really do that anymore. We've kind of moved away from that culturally, and a lot of families, you know, per the rich dad, poor dad story, a lot of families don't talk about money they don't instill kind of financial uh you know a a finance first mentality in their children um and uh, and that's a real shame because today you know we're 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 in a society where sadly you know about 50 percent of americans don't even have 500 dollars in emergency saving and uh and so we're in a pretty parlous state when as far as sort of financial freedom and financial literacy is concerned and that, that's part of the reason why I think I wrote a book about it, you know, I, and, and why I was drawn to, uh, and why I was drawn to technology. It's part of the solution of the financial literacy problem. That's amazing. I am really amazed that you just got your, signed up for your first uh, credit card, Dan. I got the paperwork through yesterday and was like, congratulations, you got your first credit card. I mean, it's not entirely, you know, partly I was an immigrant, 
So when I came to this country, I had what we in the lending space is called a thin file, right? So I actually had no credit history, which is another problem, by the way. It's a, another issue that we have in this in this country and a lot of other countries like it is that you know, in order to get credit, you have to be able to borrow money and spend it and pay it back, and in order to do that, you need credit, um, and that works great for uh, children of people who have credit and sort of build it that way. Uh, uh, but but for immigrants like me who came here in their young 20s, um, it's actually a big problem. It's a really big problem for people coming to this country. Uh, it's just one of the many ways that the financial services industry needs to adapt to, you know, changing demographics, changing changing employment um, trends and uh, and those kinds of things. So it's not, it wasn't entirely because I uh, just had this sort of funky relationship with money. It was also, it also had something to do with my immigrant status but some people don't take 20 plus years uh to get around to uh, getting that credit card i certainly didn't that's for sure <laughs> um one one way that you're helping bring awareness to financial literacy is with a book that you recently launched um a children's book which you know i've had the privilege of seeing and it's called the abc's of finance how can parents and even educators use this book as a tool? And, and what are some other tools and tips that they can use? Sure. So I think, um, so we did that in, in coordination with the Museum of American Finance, which is a fabulous organization that I know, Leslie, you're uh, personally very familiar with. I think you also, like me, sit on the communications board at, at the museum. The book itself is like a box book for little kids. Uh, uh, with every letter corresponding to a financial term. This is definitely not a case of have your children read this book and they will be financially literate. Um, it is at best a conversation starter for you and your kids. Uh, I know I had my kid read um, some of the words and had some good laughs as she was struggling through words like quantitative and things like that. And then you know, as always, would ask, you know, what does this mean? Some of these were easier to answer than, than others. But mostly it's also a conversation starter for adults and to sort of make us question what, what are we talking to our children about with regards to money. For a lot of people, you know, money is a taboo subject. I know that that was a very opaque thing for me with regards to my parents. Um, and, you know, that's fine as long as your family's making money. But when, when my family was unable to make money, it, you know, it created a lot of, a lot of drama, a lot of storm and drang, a lot of consternation. And as I said, anxiety, which I think, you know, had we been able to have a more rational conversation, a more out there conversation as I was growing up about money, I think, um, uh, it would have demystified a lot f for me. And I think also, you know, you come out of, a lot of, lot of kids are coming out of school today and, and they're, you know, they're really unsure of how to navigate loans, lending, and, uh, massive amounts of student debt. So I think, you know, the sooner you can begin having your conversation, a conversation with your kids about, about money, about how, where it comes from, about how to budget it, and, and crucially about the financial system, which... You know, we, we in the financial industry are guilty of a huge amount of engineered complexity, right? We love to make things more difficult than they need to be. And that's, that's you know, partly, it's partly because some elements of finance are complex and it's partly because it's a very sticky business and it's never really needed to be consumer friendly. 
um, not until the last 10 or 15 years has there, has, there, has there been this pressure from below, from the fintechs and others to, uh, to make you know, financial services products more accessible. I always say you know, financial services is the only industry in the world that punishes our, um, our own uh, users for not knowing how to use our products. Right? I mean, in every other industry, if you don't make accessible products, you go out of business. You know, if your car, if your car's gear, you know, gear stick is too difficult to use, or if you're a Zoom instead of an iPod, you know, or if you're a BlackBerry instead of an iPhone, you know, eventually the simpler, you know, more elegant, more easy to use, more accessible product wins out. Finance, by virtue of the fact that it's a very sticky business from on the, at the consumer end, it's, it's actually remarkably difficult to get people to sort of rip out their banking relationships and port it somewhere else. Um, you know, it, it, we, we have been insulated from that market force that would, would otherwise in any other industry may make us create more accessible products and services. And so we've got to wait for a very long time with this kind of incredibly jargonistic difficult, inaccessible kind of language and service um, that would not truck in any other industry. And that, that I think, um, you know, that complicates things for kids and for their parents. In some cases, you know, the parents don't know the answers that the kids might ask. You know, what's APR? A lot of parents don't know. A lot of parents are embarrassed that they don't know enough about how the mortgage works or how, you know, their car loan works or how their, you know, overdraft fee works or their credit card works or their credit score works. They don't know this to even explain it to their kids. And, um, you know, that's, you know, partly on behalf, you know, partly we tackled that with better, more didactic you know, financial literacy, but partly we solve it with products and services, just more accessible products and services. You know, you don't know how, you don't have to know how to build the car to drive the car. You don't have to know how to build the iPhone to use the iPhone. You don't need to know how the electricity works to turn on the light switch. You know, and so what FinTech did in finance, essentially, is it said, listen, and, and this is something that John Stein from Betterment once said to me, and I quoted him in the book. He said, financial literacy is BS. It's, it's all a matter of user design, which is to say, stop sitting your customers down and telling them about compound interest and trying to teach them about yield. Just make it like the iPhone. The iPhone is, you know, one of the most complicated pieces of kit known to man. But my 94-year-old grandmother, before she passed away, was FaceTiming me. And my four-year-old just whoop, picks it up, swipes, do, 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 do. She does a bunch of stuff that I don't even know how to do, you know. So through that complexity, at the front end is this incredibly accessible uh, device. And finance should operate the same way. How much are we going to mandate that people know these things versus the product just works for you? I have a product. I have a savings app. It's called Digit. Um, and it's great. It doesn't have an interface. There's not even an app. It's all done over text. It's a little bot. I text it. Hey, Digit. How's it going? What's my bank account? Hi, good morning, Dan. Your bank account's this. And unbeknownst to me, whenever it senses some lag in my spending behavior, like maybe I didn't do as much this week, 
as I did last week and the previous weeks, it'll just shoop, steal 10, 20, 30 dollars out of my checking account, stick it in the savings account for me. It's automatic. And then, you know, I might hit some sort of magic number, $5,000 of savings, and I'll get a text message full of confetti. Woohoo! Great news, Dan. You've saved $5,000. I didn't know I did it. So we can tell people to save, or we can build products like Digit. You called out the startling research that reveals that only 17% of students are required to take a finance course in high school. And, you know, you were just talking about, you know, taking the complex and making, making it easy. What impact does this have on students entering adulthood and taking responsibility for their own finances and managing it? Well, I think it's, you know, the simple answer, of course, is, you know, we should teach people more. So Dr. Dave Cowan, who's the CEO of the Museum of American Finance, says, you know, if we could just teach people about compound interest, we've won. You know, if we could just get them on board with compound interest. Einstein, by the way, was asked once what he thought the most powerful force in the universe was, and he said compounding interest. It's one of my favorite stories. So, yes, there's a lot we can do to make stories, finance, more interesting. There's a lot we can do to make it easier to understand, didactically easier to understand, right? You know, the best explanation I ever got was that if you really need to understand financial services, it is a technology for moving value in the form of money backwards and forwards in time. That's it. You know, when you take a mortgage for a house, you are borrowing money from your future self to be able to live in a house today. When you save for your 401k, you are sending money to your future self to be able to afford a retirement. And most finance operates around this principle of sending money backwards and forwards or value backwards and forwards in time. And when you understand this, you know, there are simple dare I say it, interesting, sexy, fun ways to explain this stuff didactically. But, so, yeah, so yes, let's put that in the yes column. You know, that 17% should be 97%, and it should be taught in a way that makes it accessible and fun and not and demystify it and makes it not scary. There are two other things that I would say, though. There's no point in doing that if they walk out into a world of inaccessible products and services. Um, and that's the responsibility of the financial services industry. And then we have a sociological or socioeconomic problem, which is that we're sending these kids out with astronomical uh, um, student debt into a world where income volatility is a fact of life. More and more people today, even those with good college degrees, are walking into a world of shift and gig work. Um, and that means that they probably need to interact with products and services differently than their forebears did. Um, they need to interact with credit in a way, and they need to understand credit in a way that their parents did, never had to. You know, for the wealthy uh, subset of us, you know, for us happy white-collar workers with that sort of classic middle-class income that's sort of steady every month, your credit for us is something that you do when you want to purchase something that's very big that you can't buy all at once. So a house or maybe a car or maybe a new pool or some splashy vacation. For the rest of America, and in fact the rest of the West, you know, credit is used to, to smooth over the peaks and troughs of, of, a, of income volatility that, that 
that our parents and grandparents didn't have to contend with. You know, money today, no money tomorrow, money the next day, money the next day, nothing the next day, right? And so, again, that's where I think fintech products and services can also step in to help. And, and they have, to be fair, that there are lots of products and services that are stepping in from real-time payment to, you know, more flexible credit-like products that people can take advantage of. But it's a new world. One of the things you touched upon is this, you know, access to products and services. And, and the one thing that we've seen um, as a result of the pandemic is just this huge acceleration of digitization, especially with digital banking. And so do you think this creates opportunities for financial literacy, not even just in, you know, young adults, but also with adults, you know, to learn together at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, all the stuff I talk about in my book, all these fintech products and services are massively beneficial from a range of, range of perspectives, right? Look at the PPP loan distribution last year. Small businesses that had, you know, very traditional banking relationships, you know, were slower to get their money than those that were already on with products like Cabbage, you know, which were fintech small business lending providers. Wherever you look, there are examples of fintech, essentially technology, saving time and money, and maybe speed to credit evaluation and other things. So, the, so like the, the mass adoption that we've seen over the last 12 months of fintech products and services is beneficial for everybody, right? Granny doesn't have to stand in line at the bank anymore to do a check because she's figured out how Apple Pay works or, you know, Granny's, Grammy's on, on Venmo now. So she can send the kids, you know, she doesn't have to go to the mail, get the mail order, um, you know, or go and get the bearer's bond and give it to the children and they'll never cash it. They'll just keep it as a family heirloom sort of thing. She can Venmo, you know, Grammy can, Grammy can Venmo 25, 25 bucks for the kid's account, you know. Um, and that stuff, you know, when you multiply by 300 plus million people, you know, it's going to start saving some really big, some time. So I think it's, it's extremely positive. I also think that many of those, tools that we talked about, Venmo is a really good example, are very intuitive, incredibly simple, um, uh, incredibly intuitive, uh, really doesn't really take a lot of the, the mystery out of finance and the fear out of, out of finance. You know, I remember as a kid, you know, my parents would take me to the bank and it's like, you know, you have an appointment with a bank manager, you wait in line. It's incredibly intimidating and you know confusing and 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 way more difficult than it needs to be but you think in every one of these categories that a bank had previously bundled right savings lending payments remittances mortgage car you know there is an app for that um and that app like rocket mortgage for example is you know the whole concept is you know push button get mortgage well, the other thing also I just say about finance is that, like, you know, okay, I'm a weird nerd and I geek out about this stuff. But most people, for most people, finance is the means to an end, right? So I just, I just used mortgages as an example. You know, people aren't looking for a mortgage. Just hate to break it to you. People want to buy a house. Actually, people want to have a home. The house is part of getting a home and the mortgage is part of getting a house, right? Most cases... You know, uh, splitting the pizza, Venmo is not the point. It's not the point. 
right? The point was to go out with your friends and have a pizza. The Venmo and the splitting of the pizza is just part is piece of it. It's actually what I always found most interesting about Uber, right? I used to, I live in New York, lived in New York for 20 years. Everyone knows what taking the yellow cab is like. For a start, you get in the car, you used to get in the car. The first thing they said is, tell me how to get where we're going. So you had to drive the car. Then they would say, we don't, I'm not going to take a credit card, even though the machine was in the back and it said credit cards. And they said, why won't you pay me in cash? And so you'd spend the second half of the car, right, just arguing about the transaction, right? So for me, when I switched over to Uber, yes, it's great that it has geolocation and I know exactly when it's going to show up. But for me, the best part of the Uber experience, and I think for many Uber riders, was that it doesn't have a transaction piece at all. That's entirely invisible. Pre-negotiated, done. There's nothing. I walk in the car. I walk out of the car. That's intoxicating. Once you do that, the transaction experience inside a yellow car. If you have to go back to a yellow cab, it feels so friction-filled. So actually, mostly, I would argue that you know when it comes to finance or financial experiences, most people don't. Only weirdos like me get up to think about financial experiences, right? The rest, the rest of the human race, normal people, you know, would rather just have the you know, the principal experience and have that and, 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 and have all the rest of it sort of taken care of for them as they should. And I think something like Amazon is a great example and, and, and touchless. I mean, I've certainly been a, over the last 12 months, I've adopted a huge amount of Apple Pay. I mean, before it would be now and again. The other day I mislaid my wallet for four days and I didn't miss it. You know, I didn't miss it. And I, I think that's wonderful. And I think the future is a sort of transactionless, you know, future. I just bought something last night with Apple Pay. You know, perfect. Didn't have to fill out anything. It just went right through. One of, um, you know, when I, you were talking a little bit about going into banks, you know, as a child, you know, I remember the lollipops. But, you know, <laughs> one of the, the lessons my dad taught me, and I'll never forget, is one of the, I mean, my dad was really good about it, but I wanted this which I look back at now, this really obnoxiously ugly pair of jeans when I was little. And, you know, I did chores. I worked, you know, my hiney off, earning the money. I think it was either $20 or something. And my dad took me to go get them, and he paid for them. And he said, take take the money that you earned and go put it in the bank and save it. And I'll never forget that. Um, aside from, you know, books like the ABCs of finance for young kids, what are some other resources that, parents and children can turn to, to, to better educate themselves? Well, there are some great places. One place is the Council for Economic Education. Um, it's uh, uh, councilforeconed.org. Um, and, uh, you know, go, go, you know, anyone's listening to this and they're like, I would love to try, go to, go to the Council for Economic Education. Um, tons of economic educational resources for K through 12, um, and, and as well as other links to other places that you can go. I will make, I will use this now as a plug for the museum because, you know, I, um, I'm obviously, I lead the communications board at the museum and I'm someone who, you know, I like to understand the history of something. It really helps me access it. I have nothing right now. Also, you know, if you're 14, you probably have like, or 16, you might have like Lynn Manuel's, like Hamilton mixtape, 
you know, on or on your Spotify or, or something, and you know, with the with the kind of the resurgence of Hamilton as a character, thanks to the uh, Smash musical, which I have seen no less than ten times. Um, uh, you know, I would say the museum is a great place to check out the kind of the history of finance, very much the history of the financial services industry, particularly as I was talking about that issue with credit. Um, that's all Hamilton, right? When I said, you know, the interesting thing is I came here and I had to start borrowing money and paying it back. Like that's Hamilton. Hamilton assumes the state debt, um, creates a national bank, creates a national debt creates the credit and creditworthiness of the United States. And, um, you know, from that, in fact, he famously said, you know, a national debt, it, if it is not excessive, will be a national blessing. Now, you know, we can argue about whether when he, whether, whether what we have today might constitute excessive um, and what he would think if you brought him back, he probably is spinning in his grave if he, if he knew what the national debt was right now. But, this idea about assuming, you know, becoming credit worthy by assuming debt and paying it back was a genius conception. And that still exists today. And I would argue that, you know, with the income volatility that we're forcing on our workforce today, um, unless there's going to be some massive policy shift, credit is going to be, just continue to be the sort of, you know, incredibly present piece of the vast majority of people's lives in the way that it kind of wasn't in our parents and grandparents' lives. You know, they had the diner's club card and you had a mortgage, you know, and that was kind of your understanding of credit. Part of the reason that people kind of have such a problem, we, it's part of the reason we persist this, this negative stereotype of, of poor people being bad at, at money because they, they need credit. So, you know, in order to understand credit, one of the ways to understand credit is to go back in time and understand the history um, of, of the foundation of this, this country's economic system. So, you know, I think if you're, you know, uh, I, I think if you, if you, if you want to point your kids somewhere, there's some really fun resources, um, at both council for economic education and, um, and, and, and the museum of American finance. But again, I don't want to place the responsibility a hundred percent on parents and children. I think that, you know, they need to parents, I'm certainly making an effort that my parents didn't make, maybe because we were British in the 70s and 80s, and it just wasn't done. I don't know. I'm talking to my children, my two daughters, about money in as drama-free a way as possible. And, you know, I do think that schools and formal education environments should ramp up the amount of economic education that they give. But it's also, as I said, the other two responsible parties are, you know, policymakers and the government. Um, both state, city, local, and, 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 and federal, to make sure that we don't create an environment full of indentured servants working paycheck to paycheck or, or hand-to-mouth, essentially, uh, because no amount of economic education will compensate for a society of gig workers. And the second is the financial services industry itself. Like They have a strong responsibility to do what car makers have done, technology providers have done, hospitality providers have done, it is incumbent upon the banking industry and the financial services industry to create products and services that people want to use. Well, Dan, I have to say this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And as always, a pleasure to be in your company. Kudos to the VESTA team and the Museum of American Finance for this awesome ABCs of Finance, I think. I'm excited. I can't wait. 
for my kids to read it, and I'm actually gifting it to someone. Um, That's great. So thank you so much for joining us today and, and educating us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Stay tuned for more conversations with members of our community. Until next time, stay well. And of course, we hope you'll meet us back at the intersection soon.